Broadcasting from around the world, out to you. Welcome back to the Jaws Obsession, where we are here to share with you, prove to you, convince you, or remind you that Jaws is the greatest movie of all time. Thank you for returning for another episode. We have episode 58, Jaws Generation. We talked before about Jaws transcending generational boundaries. It's the greatest movie of all time, right? Greatest movie of all time should be able to transcend age gaps and eras. So when you when you review a movie that you saw a long time ago, it still holds up over time. So that's what we're talking about here is Jaws transcending generational boundaries. What is the Jaws generation? With Jaws only two years away from turning 50 in 2025, Jaws will reach its fifth generation of fans. We're going to dissect each of those generations, how they were introduced to Jaws, how they perceived Jaws, but more importantly, what obligation do we have as the Jaws generation to usher the movie forward to future generations? And I feel that it's very apt to where we are now. I wanted to touch on this for a while, and I felt this was an opportune moment in the history of Jaws with a prequel ever so close on the horizon. As you know, we are in development from book to screen on that. How future generations will see Jaws going forward without a prequel or with a prequel. I feel that's very important in what we are actually establishing here. So lot to lot to do here, a lot to unpack, a lot to get to. I want to welcome all new listeners. This show is growing leaps and bounds. We have new listeners listening um, uh, that are coming to the show every week. It's great to see. And if you have not listened to the Jaws Obsession before, this might be your first episode. Welcome. This show is, has been downloaded in over 80 countries. Uh, th that shows you how important the movie Jaws is. Around the world, there is interest in the movie Jaws. Uh, is there a waning interest? 
Or is there an increasing interest in JAWS? Would there be an, a heightened awareness or a heightened interest in JAWS with a film version of the prequel? Well, let's see. Let's just, let's, uh, let, that's a nice discussion to have at this moment in time. The big cliffhanger a couple shows ago was that the Book of Quint is represented by the William Pettit Agency out of Atlanta, Georgia. We went from the, the interest increased to where there's a demand for a screenplay. And the powers that be, I requested permission to write the first draft of the screenplay to the Book of Quint. And so I started doing that. And after 17 writing days, I finished 124 pages of the first draft of the Book of Quint, Volume 1. So that's the news that we're going to break right now is that what I am pushing for and what I am writing this out to be is that this book, the Book of Quint should be a two-movie release. From, from my experience, it's in a situation like this, it's do it the way you want it first because there are no guarantees in life you'll get another chance. That's the way I tackled the Book of Quint when I was writing it over 28 months, and now that is how I am tackling the writing of the screenplay. How would I want to see this movie? I believe that my heart is invested. The love that I have for Jaws, there's many things. When I'm thinking about, when I'm thinking about going into the broadcast and doing this show, I try to think about uh, this is almost a pep rally for myself in order to go to the next stage, to the next phase. And everyone out there listening is on this journey with me. How should I say this? Uh, it's, it's very intimidating at times to put yourself out there and risk failure. But the way I see it is that if you do something and you bear your heart for all to see, if you leave everything out there on the table, on the court, on the field, if you lay it out on the, when you're at the workplace, something special can happen. I started writing the screenplay and I started doing all the formulas and all that stuff because screenplay writing is very formulaic. And I just said, you know, this is how I would want to, this is how I'm seeing the movie in my mind. This is how I, this is how naturally the novel should be translated to screen. So let's just see where this goes. And naturally I sent a message to agent Bill Pettit and I said, I'm going to throw a curveball at you. This is the two movies. This is going to be two movies. We're going to give a Peter Jackson treatment to this. There's a movie quote that kept ringing in my head from the 2005 movie, Walk the Line. And I remember I saw this sequence. Um, I was, uh, growing up, my father was a big Johnny Cash fan. So I naturally was a big Johnny Cash fan just from listening to Johnny Cash being played in the car when we would drive around town. So... When uh, I went to see Walk the Line, this was a very interesting movie because it was at the time where I had a small independent filmmaking company and there were some other projects going on. So this line really resonated me, with me at this time. And then it came back all this time later, 18 years later, it resurfaces. And it was just playing in my, in my head about how will I be able to write the screenplay for this novel? The, the scene where Sam Phillips, uh, the iconic Sam Phillips, the record producer from Sun Studios. He's talking to Johnny Cash in his early band right down in Memphis in the recording studio, and he lays it all on the line. Here, let's play that right now. You know exactly what I'm telling you. We've already heard that song a hundred times, just like that, just like how you were singing it. Well, you didn't let us bring it home. <laughs> bring it home? All right, let's bring it home. He was hit by a truck, and you were lying out in that gutter dying, and you had time to sing one song. 
huh? One song people would remember before your dirt. One song that would let God know what you felt about your time here on earth. One song that would sum you up. You telling me that's the song you'd sing. That same Jimmy Davis tune we hear on the radio all day about your peace within and how it's real and how you're gonna shout it? Or would you sing something different? Something real, something you felt. Because I'm telling you right now, that's the kind of song people wanna hear. That's the kind of song that truly saves people. It ain't got nothing to do with believing in God, Mr. Cash. It has to do with believing in yourself. And that was the great actor Dallas Roberts from the 2005 film Walk the Line. What an impactful line at that point. And that's the, way, that's the approach that I took to starting the screenplay for the Book of Quint is that you have one chance. It always comes down to one chance. It's no one cares at a certain point. It's, okay, so what? You took 28 months. You wrote a novel. Now what? Okay, we need a pitch deck. Okay, so what? You you created a very interesting pitch deck. Now we need a screenplay. It, and it goes on and it go and it keeps going and it keeps going. So now you have one chance. You have one chance to write the screenplay that is something that they have never seen before. Can you do it? And that was what I set out to do was to write something that had the heart of the novel. And in doing that, that's when I decided it has to be two movies. So there will be two screenplays, of which I have, after 17 days of writing, I have 124-page screenplay to The Book of Quint, Volume 1. The Book of Quint, Volume 1, is now, first draft, has been sent over to Agent Bill Pettit, and that's going to go out there. So now, starting tomorrow, I will be starting on The Book of Quint, Volume 2. Now, here's how... I see things. Hollywood is an interesting place in that you never know what's going to happen. There are no guarantees. So write the movie that I see right now. And if it gets made, it gets made. If it, it, if it gets attached to other screenwriters and it gets whittled down, it gets whittled down. But at least we have a good base to jump off of. And that is what I am, that is the focus that I had. Life is so short. You never know when you're going to have another chance. We don't know how long we are on this planet. So therefore we have to make every day count. And I am going to go at this. And I've always promised myself, I promised myself while writing the novel, I said, you're going to write this and you're going to put your whole heart and soul into this project because that's what the memory of Robert Shaw and that's what the movie Jaws and all those people that worked on that movie. Some of them are, are not with us anymore. The memory of those people deserve 110%. And that's what I'm delivering in this screenplay now. 17 days, volume one is finished. In another three weeks, I believe that I can get volume two finished. There will be a two screenplays for two movies. One I, if I had my way, you release one in December of 2025, you release the next one in December of 2026. It's out of my hands at a certain point. But I just want everyone out there to know, the view, the listeners out there to know, to the Jaws fans, this is something that's bigger than just one of those same old shark movies that we've been seeing. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later on in this episode. Just like Sam Phillips was telling Johnny Cash, we've already heard that song before, that same old song, Just the Way You Sang It. 
And we've already seen all these shark movies, just the way they make them. And I don't begrudge anybody for making these shark movies. We're going to get to this later on. I shouldn't go on on this tangent right now. However, this has to be the highest order. This, this is the prequel to the greatest movie ever made, and it deserves the, the same treatment that The Hobbit got. It deserves the same treatment that The Lord of the Rings received when Peter Jackson took those books and would make four-hour feature films for each one, and then it got whittled down for a commercial presentation, but then you have special editions later on. So The Hobbit, one book made into three movies. I don't see why a 399-page book of Quint can't be two movies. It's plain like that, and the screenplay is the proof. If you... And so now we have the Book of Quint Volume 1 and the Book of Quint Volume 2. The Grace of God, those will be two movies that will be out there, and the Jaws fans and the Jaws universe will be well taken care of. Let's all hope for the best there, but that's the way I'm taking this project. Very exciting. It's a very exciting time. I'm very happy with what came out uh, during the screenwriting process. And that's what it said. How, how did it come out so fast? See, one thing is, is also another one. We're going to go back to the John Grisham interview that I referenced a couple episodes ago. So John Grisham is on stage with Stephen King, and here's what John Grisham said. Now, John Grisham is a veteran of book-to-screen. A lot of his books were made into movies. He has some advice that he received from Stephen King, because as we know, that Stephen King had problems with certain movies that were made from his novels. So Stephen King had advice for John Grisham, and John Grisham is telling all of us. So let's all look at this in the vacuum of we have a novel that's in book-to-screen development. What does John Grisham say about that process? Well, this is what Stephen told me the first time I met him. He said, uh, and I, again, I was, a, I was a rookie, and I was looking for advice, and he was, uh, as he always is, very gracious and thoughtful because he'd been through so much. But he said, look, John, let me tell you something, pal. Uh, <clears throat> When it comes to movies, there are two groups. The first group of writers. The first group <clears throat> consists of those who do not sell to Hollywood. For whatever reason, <coughs> excuse me, they don't sell. That's a small group, okay? The second group consists of those of us who do. And if you're going to sell, there are certain rules involved. Very simple. Number one, get all your money up front. Number two, kiss it goodbye. And number three, expect it to be something different. And if you don't like that, go join the first group. That's what Stephen told me 23 years ago. Something like that. <laughs> something like that. So do you see? So there is always a risk that it is going to get changed, that it will not be what the novel is unless we deliver something that is the best version of the novel. That's why I decided to ask for the a privilege of generating the first draft of the screenplay version of the Book of Quint. But at least we know that we are off to the races and we are off to a good start. So I want everybody to know that. And so I took the advice from John Grisham. Uh, he wrote The Firm, Pelican Brief, a lot of other books, Time to Kill. That's his way of looking at it. But he never really generated the screenplays. Another screenwriter would come in and then the screenplay would be different from what's the novel. So here we are we're taking that extra step in order to ensure if this story is told it's in its entirety, it plays like two dynamic films, feature films now. So very exciting. One screenplay done after 17 days of writing. The next one will be done in three weeks. I truly believe that. I'm going to start tomorrow, and I would just pound on this keyboard. I will just live down here like I have 
So we'll see what the higher-ups have to say, but I promised that I would deliver a screenplay like they have never seen before, and I think that's what we're doing here. We're, we're giving the Book of Quint the Peter Jackson treatment is what I'm calling it. Because if the Peter Jackson can make three movies out of The Hobbit, I believe we can do two out of The Book of Quint and give Jaws its proper prequel and start this expanded Jaws universe with a bang. Great to see. So let's get on to some emails here. So before we get to the emails, I want to remind that you can email me here at the Jaws Obsession, JawsOB, the letters OB2025 at gmail.com. Always great to hear from everybody. And now we have people finishing the Book of Quint writing in. We have Dave from England. He says, Dave writes in, Hi, Ryan. I stumbled across your podcast last month, and I have been binge listening ever since. In the, in the car or in the kitchen while cooking or doing dishes, Jaws was a movie that was talked about all the time at primary school, but we were all too young to have watched it. Nevertheless, we knew it was about a giant shark, and this loomed large, literally, in my imagination. I was eventually allowed by my parents to watch Jaws for the first time as a child when it was on TV here in the UK, and it had a profound effect on me, triggering a fascination for sharks and for the movie Jaws. And for that night, a fear that I, if I stepped on my bedroom floor, it would turn into water and a great white would emerge from it to eat me. I recently introduced my 10-year-old son to Jaws, and he loved it. Proud dad moment, though I believe his bedroom floor remains a shark-free zone. Uh, keep that in mind. Everybody keep that in mind. Later in the episode, Dave writes, it had a profound effect on me, triggering a fascination for sharks and for the movie Jaws. So everybody keep that in mind. So I'll continue on here. Dave continues on. For years, I have been telling friends and family that, in my opinion, Jaws is the best film ever made and, by and large, have encountered amusement and bemusement in equal proportions. So your podcast made sense to me immediately. When I heard about the Book of Quint, I knew I simply had to get it. My only concern was there might not be any copies left. So it was with great relief that I found it was still available from the Crack Bean Roastery and, and great joy and excitement when my copy of the book arrived last week, along with your letters and stickers. Firstly, may I say, as someone who works in the publishing industry, it is a beautiful book. From the illustrations to the cover to the quality of the paper, it looks and feels the part and well worth the money, even though it isn't cheap and I need summer dollars or pounds. Wow, that's cool. How about that? He says that he works in the publishing industry. Wow, that's great. Great compliment there. He continues on. A good storyteller paints verbal pictures in the minds of their listeners or readers. And this you have done vividly and effectively. It is a brilliant brilliant book. I read the book of Quint in four days and having finished it, am only sad that it's over. You write so well and with such obvious respect and affection for the subject. When Quint speaks in the book, I can hear Robert Shaw's voice saying the words. You have my deepest thanks for making this happen and for giving Jaws fans the chance to experience and enjoy spending more time in the company of that of the remarkable Mr. Quint. Good luck with the screenplay. You've been preaching to the converted with me, but I would see that movie in a heartbeat. Here's to swimming with bow-legged women. That's from Dave Bowen in Stourbridge, England. Hopefully I said that right. I'm sorry if I didn't. Stourbridge, England. How about that? Great review by Dave over in England. Publishing Works in the publishing industry and says it's a brilliant, brilliant book. That means Dave is no stranger to books. 
What a compliment. What a compliment. And that's just the reaction that we are looking for. That's wonderful to see. Wonderful to see. What else did he write? He said that he finished the book in four days. Now, everybody reads at their own pace. I am a notoriously slow reader. It takes me forever because I will, I will read and then I will, my mind will wander and I'll think about something maybe I have to write and I'll have to reread the paragraph that I just read. So I have to be always working on staying in the present to read. And it's a, it's actual, it's a, it's a skill. And I admire people that can read very in an expedient way. I admire that. He, having finished it, he's sad that it's over. Well, it's not over, Dave. There's more to the story. And I can't wait to dive into that. But in this aspect, the book of Quint is, that's the book. But the, um, the screenplay I will tell you that the screenplay, there are new elements in the screenplay that I needed to create in order to get the idea across to the viewer because uh, cinema is a different medium than the novel. So I can do, I did things with the novel that I can't do on screen. So therefore things had to be rearranged and adjusted. And of course there's, uh, you know, the pacing of it all has to be so... You, what you will see is something extremely close to the novel if it's made this way, which I hope that it is. But the, the extra parts, which I can't do any spoilers, but the extra parts are really interesting to me because they lead to more questions on what will come later on. That's, that's fascinating for me because it's establishing the larger, the expanded Jaws universe. Very interesting. There's a lot more to be done. So thank you very much for that review, Dave. Let's move on. Let's move on to, we have a listener from, I believe, California. They didn't really put down exactly where they're writing from, but they, they, they wrote in, I have been a fan of the movie since I just saw it at the age of five. My family went to a drive-in theater in my hometown in the Imperial Valley of California. It was a twin drive-in, and it played two movies on each screen. My parents watched the first movie, no recollection, and then before Jaws began, they told me and my sister to lay down in the back seat and sleep, and I, of course, didn't listen, and before they knew it, I was jumping up and down on the back seat, rooting for the shark. Quint has always been a favorite of mine. A close second was Hooper. One of the best entrances in cinema history is when Quint is introduced by scratching the chalkboard. I found your podcast and absolutely love your takes, in-depth breakdowns, and interviews. Every time I listen, I want to play the movie to watch the scene you elaborated on. My only regret is that I'm late to the podcast and didn't get a in on the Indiegogo campaign. Really hoping that a publisher picks up the Book of Quint so that I will have a chance to read it. Patiently waiting to page-turn it. Keep up the great work. Devoted listener Jay Wilcox. Thank you very much for writing in. Jay, I, I love hearing the everyone's little Jaws obsession starts with that unique memory. Everybody is different. It's amazing. We're all the same, but it's all we're all different at the same time. That we love Jaws. We have a fascination with sharks that was started with Jaws, but we all saw Jaws in a very unique way. Some were in drive-ins, some was uh, somewhere on HBO, rental cassettes, a lot of different ways. It's just interesting how we've all arrived at the same uh, town me town hall meeting point, which is the Jaws obsession at this point in time, 47, 48 years after the movie was out. 
which is very interesting. What, what Jay said was one of the best entrances in cinema history is when Quint is introduced by scratching the chalkboard. One of my personal favorites, but wow, after you read the book of Quint, that scene is 10 times more powerful. Trust me, it is possible that there is a, there is a lot more going on in that scene than people might know. But after you read the book of Quint, boy, does the subtext get drawn out like, like you're wringing out a towel. You just wring out that subtext from the performances of Mayor Vaughn, uh, Murray Hamilton, and Robert Shaw as Quint. Amazing. Unfortunately, Jay, we are sold out of the book of Quint, that the Crack Bean Coffee Roastery sold its last copy. I'm hoping to have word. That's what I'm telling people that contact me on Instagram. If you know, you can follow the book at Book of Quint on Instagram over at Instagram.com. That's where I put up the latest news, but you can also message me there. You can write to me at JawsOB2025 at gmail.com. All these contacts will be in the broadcast description. But yeah, we're sold out for now, but I hope, I, I would ask for you to just hold on to that desire to read it because it we will have a date. That is what we are aiming for. That is my first priority for this year. That was my goal for 2023 was that every Jaws fan would have access to the Book of Quint. Access to the Book of Quint. We're going to make sure that happens. Thank you very much for writing in, Jay. One more email here. We have one more great review. This is from Steve in Scotland. As you see, we're going from uh, England. Uh, then we went to uh, we went from England over to California, back to Scotland. Look at how these reviews. Look at where the Book of Quint has landed. It went around the world. Jaws fans are worldwide. This is a global venture here, and these reviews are coming back from all over the world, different countries, different cultures, different continents. This is a global movement here, and it's wonderful to see. Steve writes in, Hi, Ryan. I finished the book of Quint a few weeks ago, and it was everything I wanted it to be and more. I will keep this review spoiler-free, but more than happy to write a more detailed review in the future. The first thing I would say about the book is that it absolutely could stand on its own. If for some reason you had never seen Jaws, then this would just be a wonderful book about a man who survived what must surely be one of the most horrific and tragic incidents to ever occur. Did he really survive, though, in body? Yes. That's a very profound line, Steve. He says, did he really survive, though, in body? Yes. But in mind, wow, that's a great line. Wonderful to see that. My only concern about this book was that I was looking forward to reading it so much and I had built up in my head that it seemed almost inevitable that it would be a letdown. How wrong I was. Not only was this as good as I hoped it would be, it totally surpassed my expectations and that really is saying something. I was incredibly moved by the prologue, which was already playing in my head like a movie. Never in my life have I been have I been completely hooked on a book before getting to chapter 1 but there is a first time for everything as they say wow never in my life have I been completely hooked on a book before getting to chapter 1 so just on the prologue Steve was hooked how awesome is that after the book, so Steve continues on. After that, the book does not let up. It seems to go at a really fast pace, even though it is covering a period of years and it is just an outstanding new entry into the Jaws universe. The best one by far since, well, Jaws. Thank you so much. That's a great compliment. I truly hope Mr. Spielberg 
takes the time to read this brilliant book because if he does, he will want to make this movie. It would give me great pleasure to see this great story unfold on the silver screen and I would have a little bit of pride knowing I played a tiny part in it. I even hope to see Amity back at Universal Studios one day. How awesome would that be? Yes, because Steve was a backer to the Book of Quint on the Indiegogo campaign. All those backers were able to make that printing possible for that 300 limited edition. And yes, Mr. Spielberg does have a book on reserve right here. All I have to do is know where to send it, and that book's going to go out. What's interesting is that Steve highlights that uh, that this he believes that this is the best entry into the Jaws universe by far since, well, Jaws. Since Jaws, which is a huge compliment because, because Hank Searles was a very good novelist himself, and he uh, wrote Jaws 2. So uh, Steve is already putting the Book of Quint past the Jaws 2 novel as far as Jaws universe entries. So Steve, Steve closes out by saying, Thanks again, Ryan. Whatever comes of the Book of Quint, I will reread this book again and again, and I will take great pride in passing it on to my son one day. Steve from Scotland. Wow. See, generational transcendence. That that Jaws that Steve said he's going to pass the book on to his son, that that's what we're talking about here is we're talking about ushering in ushering Jaws to the new generation, and that's very special to see. Thank you so much, Steve. He, Steve wrote about uh, Mr. Spielberg takes he hopes that Mr. Spielberg takes the time to read this brilliant book. I do know from my research that Steven Spielberg is an avid reader. He's still one of those guys that takes the screen, screen, full screenplays home and reads full screenplays. But I remember the quote by Richard Dreyfuss saying that he did not, even to this day, he has not read the Jaws novel because Steven Spielberg said, don't read the novel. Your Hooper will be completely different from the novel Jaws Hooper. So we know that Spielberg read, read the novel. So what I'm doing is I'm writing the screenplay with enough description there to maybe entice him to want to read the novel to get more information, to extract more, because the screenplay is a, is very pared down. There's things that I have to whittle out, and, le and it's very streamlined. But if it's written well enough... Maybe he'll want to pick up the novel and get the full picture because you get the full picture through the novel. And that's what's exciting about this is that we are on the edge here. We always said we were not going to stop until we get the book to Steven Spielberg's desk. Who knows where it goes after that? It's out of our hands. Thank you very much, Steve, from Scotland. Wonderful review, wonderful to see, and we're not going to disappoint. I am not going to disappoint. I'm going to make sure that the... And you know what's interesting? I just, you know, I just thought of this. I'm sure my agent will be scratching his head, but there's no reason that whatever happens going forward to the Book of Quint in uh, film development, these screenplays are going to be available, okay? These screenplays are going to be made available to you out there, the listener of the Jaws Obsession. There's no reason why you won't be able to see proof that the, the Book of Quint can and will work great on the screen as a volume one and volume two. Of course, it's only going to be now, it's only in the possession of the William Pettit agency because there has to be, there's NDA stuff going on, non-disclosure agreements. 
um, of which I'm sure I'm not privy to half of these conversations that are going on because they know they're like, oh, we can't tell Ryan. He's just going to go on his show and, and, and yell it all over the universe. And it's right. So that's why they're, they're, I'm, not, I'm not involved in many of these conversations. So that's where that screenplay is going to be there now. So it's, 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 it's only over at the William Pettit Agency. And whatever happens after that happens after that. But I'm pretty sure after the smoke clears and the movies come out, you're going to be able to read these screenplays. It's going to be great because I, th- I know now before the, uh, for when they have the uh, Oscar nominations uh, for best screenplay, they make all the screenplays available on their website. So it's, that's just, it's now it's a, everything is not cloak and dagger as it used to be because the screenplays, it's been registered with the Writers Guild of America. So fans have more access now to the inner workings of a feature film than ever before. Wonderful to see. And everyone's going to go see. So no matter what happens, if the, uh, the future is uncertain, but the certainty is, is that there is a screenplay. There is a novel. And that's going to be uh, material that, that we can read for, for the, the next many months and years to come. Great to see. So thank you very much. That's all for the emails today. And now we're going to move on to why we titled this episode 58, The Jaws Generation. So how I got into this Jaws Generation was from a quote. I was sent an article and video that, had a, that included a video from New Zealand from a friend of mine, Brent, who lives down in New Zealand. And the article was titled, Research Project Will Help Public feel less anxiety about great white sharks. I will include the article on our show notes over at our Telegram channel at telegram.com. You can just look up Jaws OB at Jaws OB over at Telegram. That's where our show notes are. Show notes are. I still try to post every video and article that I usually reference in these episodes. You can find that in the link below as well. The, the article there by Emma Hout came out in uh, January of this year. So there was a, it's, it revolves around a, a Dr. Riley Elliott. He's studying great white sharks down there. He received a Department of Conservation permit in June to track and satellite tag 20 great white sharks. So if you want to read this article about what he's doing, Dr. Riley Elliott, and watch this video, you can go to our show notes. But what I have is I isolated out a quote. And in the quote, he says something interesting. So let's listen to this quote. It's 49 seconds long. So let's play this and and then we'll come back and talk about it. Scientific fact is that we only have 30% of the world sharks left. And so it is critically important that we conserve them. We learn to coexist with them because they are the dictators of the health of our oceanic ecosystems. To be honest, I think we've come a really long way. The Jaws generation is gone, and um, that's all come from education, which is the scientific fact that more sharks actually means more fish. More sharks mean healthy, intact ecosystems of marine populations, and we rely on them for food, for tourism enjoyment, you know, and for oxygen and other necessities that help us survive and the animals around us. So I think everyone realizes that Sharks are a good thing for this planet. The more we know about them, the more we can reduce the fear and start to enjoy the fact that they do live in the ocean. Uh, very interesting right there. Very interesting. Dr. Riley Elliott, he said, if you, if you caught that right in the middle, he said... To be honest, I think we've come a really long way. The Jaws generation is gone. The Jaws generation is gone. The Jaws generation is gone. That, that was very profound. I was listening to that, and I felt kind of, um, I felt kind of un- sad. I understand what he's saying is that the mentality of the Jaws generation is now gone. 
So what I wanted to do was I wanted to dissect that a little bit because everything he says is correct about sharks and how they impo- how important they are to the ecosystem and that we have a better understanding of them now. Um, but let's talk about the Jaws generation or Jaws generations. I, what I wanted to show is that I always say on this, on the Jaws obsession here is that Jaws spans generational boundaries. So I wanted to go in and I dissect this is exactly what is the Jaws generation. I do believe that there are multiple Jaws generations, and Jaws created a better understanding for sharks and a fascination with sharks as you proceed through the generations. So we're going to go through the four generations right now, and we're going to talk about that, because is the Jaws generation really gone, or has it evolved? Has Jaws gone through a redemption arc where it, um, it at once it was it had a negative impact on shark populations and the and how we viewed sharks, but the it created a fascination and through generational uh, advancement, is it possible that Jaws helped sharks in the long run? That's what I'm trying to get to here, and I do believe that that's what one of the things that we can do here is we can change the narrative on Jaws. It's not the negative that we might think that it was back in the 70s. So let's let's go through this. Let's see see if you can hang with me. Let's see if I can uh, jump through this just a little bit more here. So I have a list here of the generations. So well, let's talk with, a, let's start with the first generation, which was the baby boomer generation. They were born from 1946 to 1964. And we're going to talk about these generations in relation to Jaws. So the baby boomer generation, what is unique about that generation is that they grew up in a world without Jaws. So they saw Jaws at the movies and they saw the effect of Jaws had on society. What was that effect? They saw the that when Jaws came out, Jaws was just the biggest movie. There were a lot of movies before Jaws, as we've said in the past. If you look at Thunderballs, various James Bond movies, Thunderball, um, you can go all the way back to, uh, what's the one I always say, it's Tiger Shark with uh, Edward, Edward G. Robinson back in 1932, I think it was. There were a lot of old movies that had sharks as attackers and man-eaters and all that. Jaws was just the biggest movie to come along and do it. And what happened is the baby boomer generations, and then they saw that dark side of the Jaws after effect, that effect that Jaws had was the uh, reaction was fear, the scared of sharks, and then the reaction was the glorification of the hunting of sharks, of which we've known that the two of those generation, uh, Mr. Steven Spielberg and Mr. Peter Benchley, both lamented uh, that uh, their their hands they had in the hunting of the shark population, which they felt was glorified through Jaws, and Peter Benchley even had regrets about uh, that when he wrote it, he did not know that this was going to happen. So he worked his whole life for shark conservation. What happened was unfortunate, but they worked hard to try to advance out of that, which was the Benchley, the Benchley IPLLC. And that's why they even said with the Book of Quint that we are uh, the 10% of any and all profits to the Book of Quint go to shark research and conservation. So that is how uh, the baby boomer generation saw Jaws. And then Steven Spielberg uh, famously recently apologized to the sharks, the shark population, and he felt that the, with the destruction of the sharks was inspired by Jaws. Now, what I believe, and what I believe many of you out there also agree with me, is that that ju- if you look at it in that light, there was a negative that happened. But if you watch what Jaws did, the effects that it had on later generations, 
actually increased awareness, education, fascination, and scientific research of Jaws. It inspired an entire new generation of shark scientists and conservation uh, photographers and people that respect sharks and then they, that, that they would much rather see a shark uh, dive expedition than a shark hunting expedition. And that is now currently what outweighs you see far more shark shark uh, uh, sharks diving shark diving expeditions, cage diving expeditions than you see hunting. There's also laws that were created. So we're going to get into all that. But what I'm trying to say is is that's the first generation. That was the Jaws generation, which I believe Dr. Riley Elliott was talking about when he said the Jaws generation is gone, is that that mentality is now gone. It's not that that generation is still around, but that mentality is now uh, is now gone. And that is where we have to look at what happened now. The next generation was Generation X. So Generation X is 1965. If you were born between 1965 and 1980, you are part of Generation X. That's where I fall in. I was born in 1978. So uh, if you were in this generation, you may have seen Jaws at the theaters. If you were born in 65, that means you were about nine, you were, uh, you were 10 years old when Jaws came out. So you may have seen Jaws in theaters, but many of us and many of the, this generation, Generation X, were introduced to Jaws on cable TV or VHS, as well as rental stores. At the time, there, there was little to no shark content out on regular TV or just looking for books. I remember my parents would go through all the bookstores in Cape Cod looking for shark books to keep me entertained on the way on the six-hour drive back to Syracuse in the car back in the early 80s. And they were constantly looking for different shark books and all that. So there, there, it was, but it was always a struggle. It wasn't like there was a shark section in a bookstore like there are now. There are entire volumes of shark stuff that you can, shark books. But not, but back then, there was little to no shark content. So what we were introduced to, the fascination of sharks, was through Jaws, Jaws 2. If you look at the, the 1971 American documentary, what was that title? That was titled Blue Water, White Death. So we're talking about even the documentaries back then. In many ways, it wasn't showing that in a negative light. Blue Water, White Death, it's just the title right there was uh, impacted by, f that, that it creates a fear impact. It creates a, um, uh, that, that you should be scared of these sharks. So that's what the era we grew up in. And that's what the fascination was, that sharks to us were the spooky boogeyman type of movies. And that's where many of us got hooked on that. But we also saw the Generation Xers also saw Jaws become a comedy of cliches where we saw Jaws 3 come out, we saw Jaws 4 come out, and some of us have special memories of Jaws 3, even Jaws 4. I remember that was the first movie that my sister Tiffany and I, we went to go see uh, without our parents. They, they just let us go to the mall, and we went and saw Jaws, Jaws the Revenge. We saw Jaws start to get lampooned as Jaws 5, Jaws 25, and all these little jokes about the, uh, the shark. And, and to, you know, it was just became a joke of a franchise uh, while we were growing up. But all of that was just a byproduct in that sharks became more mainstream. So thus, you can see that the Jaws effect was having a little bit more. Sharks were more accessible. Sharks were becoming more mainstream. They were now featured in aquariums. As you heard Sean O'Rourke say on my appearance on his show a few weeks ago, 
He talked about the record shark that was caught off of Long Island back in the early 80s was frozen and paraded around and he got to, he was able to go see that. So that increased his fascination. It's that, not that he became a shark hunter. It's that he was fascinated seeing this massive animal in real life and that as a young, and now he's fascinated with Jaws and he got into movies and all of that and the rest is history. So if you look at that is that we were given access to sharks because of the Jaws hype. That's Generation X. So now you move on to Generation Y, which is commonly known as the Millennials. They were born from 1981 to 1996. So the Millennials grew up with all four movies of the Jaws movies readily available either through VHS or DVD. And many times they were seen through widescreen. So even though Jaws, the series ended in 87 with Jaws the Revenge, and now it was seen as a comedy of, uh, it was just a, it's just, it was just a, a butt of a joke is what Jaws, it was what the Jaws franchise became, but still Jaws, the first Jaws was still respected as a classic movie. One of the greatest American made movies of all time. Everyone always talked about it when they mentioned Steven Spielberg and the millennial generation grew up with these, the, with Jaws available on, uh, from VHS on, on TV, on DVD, but also widescreen. So they had a massive respect for Jaws because of the widescreen. It was, it was given, they, they were able to see Jaws where Generation X, we saw the pan and scan on the, uh, you know, one, three, three to one aspect ratio. So we saw it on that square TV box and we weren't able to see the nice cinema scope 2.35 to one aspect ratio until later on, until the advancements where they were, where those were being released. And, and the millennial generation was enjoy that earlier than we were, than, than the, uh, generation Xers were. What's interesting is, is that Shark Week was started in 1988. So smack in the middle of this generation, Shark Week started, okay? Shark Week on Discovery Channel was started in 1988. It's now approaching 35 years on the Discovery Channel of shark education, watching the, the hip, cool scientists of that day go out there and show how they uh, video sharks, how they tag sharks, and now they have satellite tagging, and it's still going on. 35 years of Shark Week, that's, that's shark education, that was started in 88. Coincidentally, it was right after the last Jaws movie, right? So Jaws Revenge, 87. Shark Week starts in 88. So what happened? What just happened is Jaws in 75 triggers this fascination with the younger generations and people in charge of the media pick up on that and they say, hey, there's a desire for more shark content out there. So Shark Week is created. And the millennial generation, they watched, uh, they grew up with Shark Week and shark education as part of the uh, understanding, as part of that, that understanding. Now we get to Generation Z. Generation Z, they're from 1997 to 2015. This is Generation Z. It's a big, big generation. What we're looking at is that Jaws to them, and this is I'm talking about from my personal experience, these are my children, okay? I have a 16-year-old, I have a 9-year-old, and, and then I have a six-year-old and she's a little bit, she's in the newer generation than Generation Z. But what we're looking at is that Jaws to them is ancient history, okay? It was introduced to them in snippets. Now, me personally, my kids have been watching Jaws 
forever because I always watch Jaws. It's always on TV. But they, you know, they even roll their eyes, go, do we have to watch this again? And it's like, well, yeah, you know, so why not, right? But there's always room for Jaws, but they, you know, they roll their eyes. And the thing is, is that to them, it's ancient history. Many of this generation, Generation Z, was have been introduced to Jaws through snippets and clips on YouTube, okay? So look at how Jaws has been reduced. It was uh, enjoyed in theaters, then seen in full on video, and then it was seen in full widescreen on DVD and video by the millennials. And now you have Generation Z. They're not even watching the whole movie. They're just watching clips that are on YouTube, that are available on YouTube. Many haven't even seen the movie all the way through. The effects are a little outdated, and maybe they don't have the appreciation for it. But what is going on with Generation Z is that they are inundated. They are inundated more than ever with hordes of shark media. And I'm not saying it's the positive shark media. We're talking Sharknado, 47 meters down. We're talking about the shallows. We're talking about Meg. We can go through, There's and now I'm hearing there's rumblings of, because of that cocaine bear movie, now they're talking about making cocaine shark. So this generation has been bombarded with sharks as that negative stereotype that we all say that Jaws created, right? But it's still being created and it's still being consumed. But what is the difference now? The difference is you don't see Jaw, you don't see the Generation Z, you don't see them running out there and buying harpoon guns and saying, I can't wait to grow up and hunt sharks. So the reaction is different, even though they're they're bombarded with more negative shark media or sharks as the uh, antagonist media than ever before. And yet there's not a desire to go out and hunt and kill sharks. Why is that? Because this generation, Generation Z, has had more education. They've had more shark education in just buried into uh, their lives, just part of the lexicon, part of them growing up today. They've grown, now it's the Shark Week is a, is a big, big event. You have sharks are, are much more respected. You have conservation, shark conservation programs. Uh, the great white is now a protected species. So these kids grew, now have grown up with that the great white is a protected species and all of that, but yet they can still watch a maniacal great white trap Blake Lively on a small island in a, in a lagoon and uh, scare everybody but they're not going out there and saying we got to go kill sharks because they're they're more educated on sharks just in general. Now why is that? It's because of the fascination that Jaws started. So Jaws has thus created an, a massive Jaws generation, five Jaws generations, okay? And each one has gotten more and more educated than the last. They've been introduced to sharks in different ways than the last. And that's why I think now the Jaws generation is not gone. Of the reactive and the fear of that of that reaction to Jaws, that has been dissipated effectively. Okay? And that's why I don't believe there should be an apprehension for a movie about Quint and a as a shark hunter. I don't think that the book of Quint shows sharks in a negative light. Because it is a historical take on something that actually happened. The sinking of the USS Indianapolis and the shark attacks on those men and how they survived getting out. Is this going to show sharks in a negative light? I don't think so because I think the new generations are more savvy to research 
then react. So they will re they will research before reacting than what previous generations would have done with such a, um, a big screen treatment of the Book of Quint, a prequel to Jaws. But what's happening right now is that the interest in Jaws is waning. So even though you have more education in sharks and more awareness in shark conservation than ever in these newer generations, the interest in Jaws is waning. And what are we going to do? How are we going to go forward and usher Jaws, the greatest movie of all time, to these future generations? Is it going to be an antiquated movie with a negative connotation where people will just say, oh, that's the movie that killed a lot of sharks? I don't think so. And I don't think, I don't think it should be. And going forward with the Book of Quint as a prequel, a cinematic prequel, it just needs to be presented that this Jaws universe, expanded Jaws universe, just needs to be presented. The story needs to be presented to these newer generations to show that there's a reason why Quint was a shark hunter. There is a lot more going on to the human side of Jaws than one might think. And what will that will lead to is that will become a, that will create dialogue and interest that will lead to education and understanding. So when Dave from England wrote and he said there was, remember I said everybody remember that line, he said, nevertheless, we knew it was about a giant shark and this loomed large literally in my imagination. I was eventually allowed by my parents to watch Jaws for the first time as a child when it was on TV here in the UK and it had a profound effect on me, triggering a fascination for sharks. That's what Jaws did for a lot of us and, and Dave is obviously of that Generation X. Then that got the ball rolling to where we are now. And I believe that Jaws has not received, we're not allowing Jaws to receive its due credit in, in creating that awareness. Why you've heard me say on the show on the past is that changing the narrative, we're changing the narrative is at, what, what that means is that we're adding to the Jaws universe by showing the deeper human story and making uh, to the characters of Jaws and making the sharks as part of the ocean. So now going forward, Jaws is about man versus ocean. It's not about man versus monster shark. It's not about monster shark attacking island. How are we going to get this? If you look at the events of Jaws and Jaws 2, inside that vacuum, inside that scope that the Book of Quint creates, it's now man versus ocean. And that's very important going forward, I believe. So I'm going to end now on the question I opened up the show is, what does the Jaws generation mean to you? And how, as a Jaws fan, how are we going to ensure that the Jaws generation term going forward is not attached to negativity, it is actually attached to a positive view on the understanding of the human-shark relationship that has been going on for centuries, and how is it going to be handled going forward? That's what I think we're at the cusp, we're at the edge of that here. And this new Jaws generation is going to finally have their moment with the Book of Quint. When the Book of Quint is given the cinematic treatment, okay, it's already going to be a novel, and then you're going to have the cinematic treatment. If they make it, if it's, if the powers that be make it as big as it can be, okay, this new generation is going to have that, I remember when that came out moment. Okay, that the, that the other generations had. I remember when it came out on HBO or the previous year. I remember when I stood in line and watched at the theater. Right, the, uh, everyone has that story about how they came to Jaws. Now this new generation is going to say, "I remember when the prequel came out and my grandfather and I watched the original for the first time after we got home from the cinema." 
very special. That's what we're doing here is that we are pushing Jaws into the future and introducing it to newer generations in a, uh, in, in a classical way. And we should not be worried about what effects it will have on the sharks because we have the most educated, shark-educated generations coming up. We're just going to increase that dialogue going forward. So now those future generations, they might not have, they might not have the diorama of Bruce the shark attacking the orca on their desk like grandpa does. Okay. But they'll have a better understanding of the fascination with that diorama and why grandpa has it. I'm telling you, we're, we're, we're onto something special. This is going to be a chance for those generations, the older Jaws generations, and the newer Jaws generations to bond and connect and become one, to become an entire Jaws generation so they see the full arc of what happened early on, the redemption arc that is Jaws, and how now the characters of Jaws, expanded Jaws universe, increase awareness and education going forward. The end result is a win-win. So not only do the Jaws generations win with learning more and an opportunity to enjoy Jaws going forward, but the sharks win as well with more understanding and an increased fascination. Isn't that wonderful? Thank you very much for listening. This was episode 58, Jaws Generation. Show me the way to go home. I'm tired and I want to go to bed. Thank you very much for tuning in. And remember, we go to the Telegram channel for at JawsOB over at Telegram.com if you want to watch that whole video with uh, with Dr. Uh, Riot with Dr. Riley Elliott. A wonderful program he's got going on down there, down in New Zealand. The movie Jaws is copyrighted property of Universal Studios. Any references and sampling from the movie Jaws in this episode is intended to fall within section section 107 of the Copyright Act. Copyrighted materials are fairly used for the purposes of criticism, comment, reporting, teaching, and research. Materials used here are protected by the fair use guidelines of section 107 of the Copyright Act. All rights reserved to the copyright owners. Show me the way to go. So even though we are all sold out on the Book of Quint, we are still waiting for that date. Hopefully we will have something to announce in future episodes. But if everyone uh, who hasn't been able to read the Book of Quint, it will be coming along. Just have to have a little bit more patience. I'm going to get back to starting the uh, Book of Quint Volume 2 screenplay, which will be start. I'll start writing that tomorrow and hopefully in three weeks' time. I will have that completed as well. I will probably have a new episode, uh, not, not next week, but the week after. But until then, you can always write me at jawsob2025 at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening. Until next week, farewell and adieu. Show me the way to go home. <laughs>